So our scripture then for today is from James 3, beginning in verse 1. And listen to these verses carefully. Not many of you should become preachers, my brother, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships too, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both the fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. God is often emphatic with the words of truth and the instruction that he gives to us, but seldom is he as emphatic about a matter as he is here with these words of warning about the nature of our tongue. Here over and over again, God gives simple and plain speaking examples of the problems that each of us, without exception, has with the hazards of an uncontrolled tongue. All the words that we say are very important to God and they have meaning. And for me to even have to say that at all is an understatement. But words truly are important to God. Words can do things and can make things happen. Both good things, but also evil things. You'll recall that the spoken word is actually the name given to the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus. He is the word of God. He is that voice that we read in Psalm 19 that goes out into all the earth, His words. And it's through words spoken into these scriptures of ours that God gives us an understanding of His very being. Because we're not able to see God with our own eyes. He, though, through the use of words and the power of the Holy Spirit, here in these scriptures, reveals Himself. And we're able to see God in vivid majesty. Through His words, we're able to see the beauty of His holiness. What a joy. And I would suggest as you have your next Bible study reading, which should be every day, look for the beauty of the holiness of God. And so through His words, we can see His beauty, His holiness, and what a joy that is. But unfortunately for you and me, 
for you and me and for all of mankind, such righteous handling of words is not easy. As these scriptures here today tell us, our words can be powerful in very wrong ways. Words that you and I utter are able to bring about great misery and all sorts of evil. And the evil effects of our words can and often do linger out there for many years, never ceasing to cause harm, continuing sometimes daily to roil within the memories of our loved ones. And oh, how I do wish that some of my words that I have spoken would go away and be forgotten. And folks, you and I are often blinded to the real truth about our words. We naively think ourselves to be able to say good and right things to someone and about someone. But as we read here in these scriptures, and as we humble ourselves about the realities of our heart, we realize that our ability to open our mouths and say really good and really righteous things are only when the Holy Spirit enables us to do that. Otherwise, we are helpless in our use of words. Now may I pause and ask you, is this that I'm saying seeming harsh to you, even condemning? Why would I come to the conclusions that I just gave? It's because of warnings such as these that we have just read. And folks, God is talking about you and me personally. Listen again to these words. Don't soften them. Listen to them. Verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. That is an indictment. Verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. How many times have you said to someone, just watch what you say, guard your words, said to yourself, be calm, let your words be pleasant and kind. But listen, verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. You and I can't tell ourselves or anyone else to manage their tongue. It's not going to happen. How do I know that? These words tell us. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Wow. This is a very serious indictment. A very serious indictment of us. Pronounced to us from the very mouth of God. But again, why does God say such things to us and about us? It's because, listen... It's because He knows you and me very well. He knows each one of us intimately. He knows every thought that passes through your and my mind. He knows such things about us as we read in Romans 3. Please understand, I'm going to read these for us, and please understand that these words are not just general statements about people. God intends us to apply them personally to ourselves. Listen to these words. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of vipers is under their lips. 
Now again, folks, listen. God is pronouncing for us an indictment that we have to listen to. We are standing in his courts. And do you notice from the words that he uses that God doesn't abide by the rules given to us by modern day psychologists and our modern day health and wealth preachers and not even by some of the modern day Christian psychologists. Those folks instruct us emphatically to never say things to people like this. Never say such things as this to people. That we must always, always affirm them. That's a favorite word, you know, in psychology today. We are to affirm the person, but they're telling us also that we must also affirm their behaviors. Else their feelings might get damaged. And we might cause them some kind of long-term emotional problems. And yes, yes, those things might take place. But folks, be that as it may, you and I must give God's words exactly as they're given within these scriptures. Because His words are true, and they are correct, and they are honest, and yes, they are loving. Though we may not like that kind of loving rebuke that He gives, But He loves us so much that He will tell us the truth about ourselves. Why? It's because He is our loving Father. He is our loving Father and He loves us so much that He will always be perfectly honest in His assessment of us and of our character and of our behavior. And all you have to do is read a few verses in Hebrews 12. And there He tells us that as a Father, He truly will tell us when we're wrong and He will actually punish us for it. Why? It's because he loves us and it says so very strongly there in Hebrews 12. And he purposefully gives us all these scriptures to make us aware of who we really are, of our shortcomings. And he especially makes us aware that when you and I open our mouths and give our own personal opinions, oh, do we value our personal opinions. We love our personal opinions. But every time we open our mouths and give our personal opinions about a matter, we do often say wrong things. And the reason why we so often say wrong things is that we are, as we studied in Sunday school, we're totally depraved. We really are. Depraved at the very core of our being. Listen to these words. Jeremiah seventeen nine: The heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked, who can know it? When our heart, folks, is this corrupt, what else can come out from it? What else can we expect from it? Matthew 15, Jesus tells us, he says, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulterers, fornications, thefts, false witness, slander. These are the things which defile the man. Folks, the words that come out of your my mouth come from our heart. And here Jesus is warning us that our heart is not that innocent and trustworthy source that we think it to be. How often have you heard those words on some pleasant Hallmark-type TV program where someone is told, oh, just follow your heart. Oh, folks, terrible advice. Terrible advice. Our heart is not the innocent and trustworthy source that we think it to be. It is instead this haven of all sorts of evil thoughts, evil plans, and behaviors. 
you and I really do have a naturally recurring problem, one that was bred into us in our human condition at birth. Our hearts truly are desperately wicked when we come into this life. And out of it flows all manner of defiling conversations, behaviors, and left unchanged. Listen to these words. Left unchanged from that condition that is inborn within us. Our hearts and our tongues will continue to spew forth every one of these things that Jesus spoke about here. Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slander. Simply put, folks, listen. There's an old saying that says, we have met the enemy and it is us. And that's a truth. Consider for a moment a circumstance, a conversation. By nature, conversations involve at least two people, often more. And each person's mind and personality is involved in the matters that are being discussed. And while one is talking, the others are listening and receiving the things that are being said. And along with those words that are being said are other contributing factors, voice inflections, mannerisms, expressions, all those things adding up to become the understanding or the misunderstanding that the other people will have. Often many of the people involved in a conversation are in general agreement. But just as often, one or more of those who are listening are not in full agreement. And a disagreement can arise from any of several points of difference. And again, not just from the words that are being spoken. It's our voice inflections and mannerisms. They all add towards this provoking of anger and resentment on the part of our listeners. And again, the warning goes to a level deeper than our tongue. Deeper than our tongue. The real source of all that flows from our tongue comes out from our heart. And while many of us may have genuine intentions, we still have this corrupt condition within us. Our hearts are deceitful. Yes, we may want to say one thing, but when we're finished with that conversation, we realize that it didn't come out right. It just didn't come out right. Why? Why? It's because in here, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And this next couple of words says we can't even know it ourselves. The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't even know our own heart. And while we may have no intention whatsoever of being unkind or offensive, our heart may still have its own way, cleverly inserting those little cuts and barbs and criticisms. And those things immediately influence that other person in the conversation, provoking their own deceitful and desperately wicked heart because each of us have that. And so as they receive our words, either in agreement, but often in offense, they're offended by what we say. And then problems begin to develop, disagreements. And while you might not really have intended any offense, because it's just your way of giving your own opinion about a matter. Your words, your voice inflections, and your mannerisms, they touch a, a raw nerve within people, and the things you say become that small spark that ignites the flames of hurt and offense. It's as the words of this passage suggest. Our tongues, they breathe out the breath of our soul, and our hearts are so desperately wicked and, and deceitful that we ourselves aren't able to fathom the depth of our own depravity. 
And just a random conversation, a random conversation can become that small spark that will ignite flames of discord, flaring up into destructive arguments that we might never get back under control. Has that happened with you? With members of your own family even? Things you said years ago that you didn't really mean to say, but you said them, and now they can't be unsaid, and damage is done. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about. He says it just, the tongue is like a small rudder, but it can move this giant ship. Our words can take us down a path that we wish we had never traveled into broken hearts and broken relationships and broken marriages. So then, with all of this being said about all the many words that we say each day and also the manner in which we say them, may we understand exactly what we're dealing with. It's this. Our words really do have power, real power, power to heal and to help, but also power to hurt and to harm. And unfortunately, far too often, the words that pour forth from our mouths, they do harm. But what are we to do? What are we to do with this problem? Because talking is such a necessary part of our nature. What are we to do with this problem? Well, let me give you some encouragement. First of all, and praise be to God, He has already given us the first and the most vitally important part of the answer that our dilemma needs, and especially that deceitfulness and that desperate wickedness spoken of in Jeremiah 17.9. He has provided redemption. That's His first answer. He has provided redemption, and praise be to God, because in His great love for us, God sent His Son to be that perfect sacrifice to provide that propitiation that is necessary, that full payment, that full satisfaction for our sinfully wretched souls. And all you and I have to do, all you and I have to do to begin the healing is to receive it, to receive His gift of atonement into our desperately wicked heart. And then the cleansing and the healing of our soul can begin. Listen, God described this precious gift that he gave to us in Ezekiel 36. And I would encourage you to make a note of it. Beginning in verse 26 of Ezekiel 36, God tells us, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take that heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Isn't that precious? This is a way that it all can begin within us. But it really must be done exactly this way. There is no other way for us to move from that wretched condition that we came into this life with. God must do all of the work. It is His way. And it is the only way to get down to the very core of our sinfulness. And folks, did you notice from these words that God does not have a renovation plan. Contrary to popular belief and especially popular preaching, God does not renovate you and me. No, Christ in His propitiation has a requirement. In Christ, our old man, our old self must die. It must die completely. And a whole new man 
a whole new woman must be born within us. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, listen, and behold, all things have become new. The old man, the old self, the old heart is removed and a new heart is put within us. And, and then a new spirit is put within us. And then, thanks be to God, he puts his spirit within our spirit, making all things new, making all things new. And for us, a new life begins. And he tells us that in 1 Corinthians one thirty, and he tells us that he's going to do it all for us. There in 1 Corinthians one thirty, he tells us that it is... Of God, that Christ is in us, wisdom, holiness, righteousness, and redemption. Folks, that's all we need, and what a treasure. And with all of this taking place, you and I have everything that we need for life and godliness. And it is then, and only then, that we can open our mouths, and good things, truly good things, can begin to come forth out of it. And praise be to God. Praise be to God. And what a joy it is as we abide in Christ, to see this newness taking place within ourselves, I would encourage you to listen to what you say. And you'll find that as you abide in Christ, that where formerly only foolish things came out of your mouth, you'll find that now, at least some of the time, good things will start to come out from your mouth. You'll hear loving and kind and generous words coming out from your mouth. Praise be to God. That's because He has given you a whole new being. So then, can your tongue, can my tongue ever be tamed? The answer is no. Not by us. But then again, yes. Yes. But only after it has become new. As we become, as you and I become new creatures in Christ, our heart becomes new. Our spirit becomes new. And along with all of those, our tongue also becomes new. Now do our tongues become perfect in all that they say? Oh, how I wish that were to be. But unfortunately, no. But thanks be to God, they now have an option. They now have an option. In the book of Romans, we're told that in our unsaved condition, we do not have a choice. You and I must obey the mastery of our sinful nature. But thanks be to God, there in Romans we're also assured that once we are saved, once we are saved, sin no longer has actual control over us and over our tongue. We now have a choice. And while our old self does often rise up and want to say all those wrong things to people or about people or to the television as we hear the media say something we don't like, we now have a choice. We don't have to open our mouths and let all those wrong things flow out. Our old self does rise up, but we now have a choice. We never again have to become that out-of-control tongue, that restless evil that he speaks of here, setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. We, you and I, now have Christ and his indwelling presence. And with his indwelling presence, his divine power, has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him 
who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. It comes from 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Let's pray.